You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions in the comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and, of course, I will answer as many as I can. So we're talking Passover. Last show was all about Passover. Got to get more into Passover. And again, if you never ran your own Seder or you want to know what to do, so we have a great show. We're going to post it back up there. Um, it should be called something about Mach Seder or Passover Seder or something like that. That'll be up there. If not, just type into the webpage. Passover, it'll come up there somewhere. And it, it was a, actually, I think we did a really good job. But so much to talk about. Last show, we got into children and, and the, the whole goal of the evening. Now let's have some more fun. Let's get into some of the overall details. But of course, I, I didn't really have any chance for any good stories. And I missed the last show, my stories. So we're going to bring them up now. So two beautiful stories that I saw recently. Um... And it's actually very involved in current events. I saw it was like perfect. Um, but if we had to title this story, it's uh, One Good Deed. One Good Deed. W- what happens from One Good Deed? This is the Passover time. It's amazing the amount of charity that is given out to make sure that everyone can afford to have their own Seder, that they have the food that they need and the matzah they need and the and the wine they need and the chicken they need. There's all kinds of organizations that do such beautiful jobs here in Detroit. There will be hundreds of families that will receive packages that will probably give them a lot of chicken and eggs and potatoes and wine and grape juice and all kinds of matzah and all things they need um, just to take off that burden of all the expenses with all the food that everybody has to buy. It has to be kosher for Passover food. It's not the regular food. What one good deed could accomplish is amazing. Here's a, an amazing story. And again, I told you, um, it's very relative to current events. One good deed. So at the end of the reign of Tsar Nikolai in, in Russia, so uh, right before the Bolshevik Revolution... Um, the Tsar felt the best way to put an end to the revolution was to hunt down all the Bolshevik leaders. So if you were on their hit list, if you were a most wanted, you ran for your life. The soldiers were looking for you, searching for you, knocking down doors. So one of the most wanted pounds on the door of a village Jew. And the Jew opens the door, come in. He says, well, who are you? What are you? The, the, the soldiers are coming and searching for me. You, you must help me. You got to hide me. So hiding's not going to help. They'll search under the bed. If you're hiding under a bed, you're finished. Put you in a Jewish house. He says, go put on that prayer shawl, put on that talus, wrap it around your head, get a prayer book, and just sway back and forth like you're praying to God. They'll think you're part of the family. 
So sure enough, the guy wraps himself in a prayer book and he's back and forth and back and forth and the soldiers knock and, and can I help you? Yes, we're searching for so-and-so. Uh, he's not here. You're, you're welcome to come in. They look around. You see somebody in the corner praying. He's just like another Jew in the room. So they left. At, later on, later on, this Bolshevik most wanted after the revolution, he actually became a high-ranking officer. So the Jew who saved him he called him to his uh, palace or whatever, his office, and the Jew was frightened. And uh, he says, I want to reward you. You saved my life. You tell me put that prayer shawl. You saved it from the soldiers. You deserve to be rewarded. So the Jew says, look, I just wanted to save a life. I, I wasn't looking for rewards. I really don't want anything. And I'm not looking for anything. So the officer gave him uh, some money, and he said, okay, you ever need something, you call me. Years later, there were 18 boys from a school called Navardic. Navardic was really a, 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 it was like an organization of schools. It wasn't just one school. They had branches everywhere. It's called Navardic. So 18 boys were trying to escape from Russia to Poland, and they caught them back at the border, and they threw them in jail, which was never a good thing. Because if you survive the jail, they send you to Siberia. It's just uh, not a good situation to be in. So the people involved, they tried this, tried that, and they, no one could help. So they went to the leading rabbi of the time. His name was Reb Chaim Oizer, And Reb Chaim Oizer told them, there's a Jew. And he told them the story who uh, saved uh, one of these high-ranking uh, officers. He's the only one that can help. Okay. They went and found him. They said, you got to go back to your friend, the guy you saved. Tell him we need these 18 boys out of jail. And uh, he did. He went to the officer. He says, I know I never asked for a favor, but if I could ask for a favor, could you let those 18 boys out? I know it was terrible. They tried to cross the border um, illegally, but, um, but do me a favor. That's the favor I want, and then we're even. So the officer said, it's a deal. So he lets him out of jail. Now, the, the great Chavetz Chaim, we've talked about him in the past, said one small deed. It's not small. He saved the guy's life. It wasn't a big deal, though. He saved a life. Look what happened. He saved 18 boys. But it's more than that. The story gets better. One of those 18 boys um, was known as the Stipler. Stipler Gain. He eventually moved to the land of Israel, became one of the leading rabbis of the last generation. I was actually at his funeral in the, I think it was 86. In case you didn't know, the Stipler's son went by the name of Chaim Kanievsky. He's that great rabbi that passed away about two weeks ago. And that funeral that had upwards of a million people or 800,000 people, he was the leading rabbi. He took care of all the greatest difficulties. He taught the world what it means to study and study and study. He was, a, he was a special leader. He protected the Jewish people. So one small deed, look what that one small deed led to. Yes, it saved 18 lives. But it, it brought us our greatest leaders. No one knows what even one small deed could accomplish. Amazing. Okay. Now, that's not specific to Passover. It's just I saw the story, and I like the story, which I do. But really, really, um, as I told you, you have people running around with all these different organizations, helping people, making sure that they can have a, a beautiful Passover. 
No one knows how great one small deed is and what that small deed can accomplish. Okay. But now let's get more into Passover. So historically, and we've talked in some of our uh, older shows, we talked about blood libels. The blood libel was a terrible creation um, by the Christians to start up with the Jews, and they claimed, completely made up, I don't even, I never really understood where the concept came from. It just doesn't make sense. The Torah says you're not allowed to have a drop of blood. It's clear, written, black and white. You can't miss it. But since the peasants at the time couldn't read, so there's no one to argue. It says in the Bible, you can't miss it. But they claimed that the Jews need Christian blood for their matzahs. That's what they claimed. And this was something that the, the, the Jewish people had to fight with for hundreds and hundreds of years and to prove it, and there were, they were, they were pogroms because of it, and you knew when it came close to Passover, you had to worry uh, what was going to be. If, if, a Jewish chi- if a Christian child disappeared, you knew you were for sure in trouble, and they could take a child and frame people, and they would hide bottles of, of blood in the, in the synagogue. It was terrible. I mean, people were, were petrified because they knew what could happen, and you can't argue with them. The problem was that even if you're a learned Jew, you know that these stories are ridiculous. But what if you weren't learned? What if, and that's what happened in the 1700s, 1800s, we had all these Jewish people going away from being Orthodox, and, and that's where the Reform Movement started, and you had what was called the Maskilim, and you had all these people teaching children not to be Orthodox and to run away from their Orthodox ways, and somehow, don't ask me how, I don't know, somehow it got so bad that some of these people even were giving credence to these blood libel stories. It was amazing. So the story is told as follows. A Jew came to Blazer Gordon. He lived in, in Europe again in the early 1900s. And he recently became religious. And he and his wife were preparing, and he came to the rabbi, Blazer Gordon, and he says, you know, I just need a few more things for Passover. He says, okay, what do you need? Well, I got my matzah, my flour, my water, my chicken, my wine. Okay. And the guy standing there says, and, you know, I need the other stuff. And Elias Gordon said, what other stuff? Come on, Rabbi. You know, the, the special, you know, the hider, the most beautiful way to do the mitzvah of the matzahs. You know, Elias Gordon says, I don't know what you're talking about. Matzahs, matzahs, flour and water. Rabbi, come on. You know what I'm talking about. And he says, I really don't know. Why don't you tell me straight? And he puts his head down and he says, you know, Christian blood? And a blazer Gordon like, whoa. He takes the guy by the hand. He runs with him to the synagogue. And the guy figures, oh, they hide the blood in the synagogue. They're running to the synagogue. Blazer Gordon goes into the synagogue, opens the ark, pulls out a Torah scroll, and he yells, I promise you, I swear to you in God's name, never, ever did a Jew put Christian blood or any blood in a matzah. The guy was so overwhelmed, he believed him. But you see, it's amazing how far these blood libel stories went. So even though Passover is a very happy time and a very joyous time, um, there were times during our history where we had to worry about fabricated stories. And what's even worse, not only do we have to worry about fabricated stories, but when when people go away 
from their roots. They go away from from uh, studying Torah and learning the real the real Haggadah, the real story. It, it leads to tremendous tragedies. People can imagine the worst. I was reading some article. I shouldn't be reading these articles. But there's, I don't know, there's piles of Haggadahs out there. I did not realize. I myself have a collection. I probably have 20, 30. I used to have more. I lost from the flood. But they're all from great rabbis or from people that collected from great rabbis. But I know there's out there for every ism, every every liberal, every who knows what, they make their own Haggadahs that have nothing to do with Torah or with the Jewish people. It's it's just like political Haggadahs. Whatever political side of the uh, of the spectrum you stand on, they will make a Haggadah and they'll completely wipe out all the leaving Egypt and being slaves and the ten plagues because they don't care about that. They care about their agenda. So y- you need to realize when you go ahead and you create, you, you took what was called a Haggadah, which was supposed to be the story of Passover, and where everybody gets together and you instead convince people that your new Haggadah, your new your agenda is part of our culture and our history. So not only first of all it's a lie, it's not true. But but you don't realize you're gonna put into their heads they're gonna think it's real. I know you want them to think it's real. But it it it, it leads to terrible things that led to a Jew going to Blazer Gordon and saying um, also, don't you supply me with the Christian blood? Like, the craziest things that we had to deal with, but someone who didn't know, he only had his 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 information from from poor, terrible sources, and that's what happens when people create these Haggadahs, and uh, whatever it is, you can... It, uh, don't go looking for them, and the poetry, and the this, and the that. It's their own personal freedom. That's not what the night is all about. The night we talked about in the last show, the night is thanking God. The, the night is recognizing that we're one family. The night is that we were slaves. The night is God took care of us. The, the night is God continues to take care of us. Not your political agenda. Okay, that was my soapbox. So now let's get into the real stuff. Anyways, so now that we said we got to do the real stuff, so the, um, the, the basic story is broken up into four parts. So I wanted to spend a few minutes, we have a few minutes left, just the basic story. But if you understand it's broken up into four parts, you'll you'll recognize how the Seder goes. So part one is we went down to Egypt. Jacob, our forefather, did not want to go down to Egypt. Um, and God knew he didn't want to go down to Egypt. Someone said uh, Joseph gets sold as a slave by the brothers. The brothers think they're getting rid of him. Instead, God is setting it up that Joseph is going to become the second in command of Egypt, and he will bring down his family. So the 12, the, Joseph's there. He brings down his 11 brothers, then his father, and they sort of set up their own ghetto in a place called Goshen. And that's part one. Now we're in Egypt. Part two. So the Jewish people are in a ghetto. And a lot of people don't like to be in a ghetto. A lot of people want to get out of the ghetto. A lot of people want to be just like their neighbors. They want to be just like, in this case, just like the Egyptians. So they start moving out into the suburbs and the country clubs or and the places to eat or, or the baseball games or the symphony. They're, they're becoming just like their neighbors. So God doesn't want the Jewish people to, um, to assimilate and, become, and forget that they're Jewish. 
So therefore, God's going to make the Egyptians hate us. So now we have part two, where we become slaves. The Pharaoh tricked us. He tricked us into becoming slaves and making bricks, and then all of a sudden the guards come out, and uh, now we're stuck, and we're making bricks, and for the next almost 100 years, we're, we're doing hard labor. We're doing hard labor. So we are slaves. We are suffering terribly. They're throwing the babies in the river. And if we don't make the quota of bricks, they'll take babies and put them in the wall. And just terrible, terrible living situations. Not regular slavery, but slavery meant to destroy the Jewish people. So that's part two of the Seder. Part three of the Seder. Now God calls Moses back from Midian, brings him down to Egypt, and Moses will go ahead and do the ten plagues. Now, the ten plagues is one of the most fun things to talk about because there's really nothing wrong with uh, with using your imagination for what happened. There's nothing wrong because we don't know exactly. And the point is, God says, tell over the story. I wasn't there. My great-great-grandfather wasn't there. Like, you know things got lost in the translation, but it doesn't matter. Because we're giving over the feelings of what God did for us. So as long as we're giving over the feelings and we have the gist of what happened, we have the verses, we have the medrash, and then uh, you want to embellish completely fair game. So quickly we'll go through we have 10 plagues, right? The first plague is blood. Um, second plague is frogs. Third plague is the bugs. Um, interesting to note, even the plagues are broken up into groups. The Pharaoh says, I don't believe in God. He never heard of God before. So Moses says, no problem. We're going to teach it as a God. Because they believed in magic. Or whatever they called their magic. And their magic had some type of power, it seems, according to most. But their magic couldn't do this blood. This was real blood. These were real frogs that kept multiplying when the Egyptian tried to kill the frog. These were bugs that were created from the sand. You can't create bugs from sand. And as a side point, uh, when the bugs, when the sand became bugs, so there's no more dirt, no more dirt, you can't make bricks. So the hard labor for the Jewish people has now ended. That's part one of the ten plagues. Part two of the ten plagues, we have the wild animals, we have the plague, right? Corona gives you a, a drop of a feeling, but not really, and, uh, and then the boils. So what happens? The wild animals come from who knows where, all different countries. Your lions and tigers and bears and you name it, these animals are going wild through the country. But they didn't step in to the land of Goshen. Now, I've seen dogs that were loose in my neighborhood. The owner could yell and scream all day long, but he can't stop the dog from running on my property because I know I'm not technically scared of dogs. So, but I know some people are. So, one of my neighbors, I saw that this big dog went on her front lawn and her kid was outside. She was so petrified of the dog, she couldn't get her kid. So, I stopped my car, I went out, I uh, took the kid and I brought him into the house because I'm not petrified of the dog. But animals go wherever they want. No, no, animals only go where God says. They don't go in Goshen. They're not allowed to touch a Jewish person. They could give the Jewish children rides. They could let the Jewish children, you know, scratch behind their ears or on their tummy. The plague. Now, this plague really should have wiped out all the Egyptians, but it was only meant to kill animals. It's an airborne disease, right? With all everybody's precautions. I just read this morning, Pelosi has COVID, right? It, 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 you can't get away from it, right? Because it's an airborne disease. You cannot protect yourself. You could try, 
But at the end of the day, you cannot fully protect yourself from an airborne disease. But only the not only the only the Egyptian animals died. The Jewish animals were fine. Right? So again, God is even controlling where every microbe, every speck, where it is, where it goes, what it affects, all God. And then the boils, the ashes were thrown into the air and the ashes come down and right, you're going to tell the ash where to go. You, you do if you're God. So it only affected the Egyptians. It did not affect the Jewish people. So the second group of plagues taught us the second group of plagues taught us that not only is there a God, but there are people that say, yeah, God created the world and then left on vacation. Not true. God is here. He cares about the world and he knows exactly what's going on and he is in control of everything that goes on in this world. Every leaf that falls, every animal where it goes. That was the purpose of the next three plagues. And then we get, of course, to the fourth I'm sorry, to the next three plagues, the next four plagues, as I said, four, where a group three, which is the final group of plagues to show that God punishes those that need to be punished and he rewards those who need to be rewarded. So you have the hail, right? Again, it doesn't come down in Goshen, only in Egypt. It doesn't destroy the houses. I was actually teaching it to my class this week, and it's so interesting. They, they could not connect that you have this hail falling, fire bursting out of it, and the houses are all intact. I, they said, did it hit the house? Did it not hit the house? I said, could we hit the house? But God said it's only destroying the fields. If you're in a house, you're safe. But the animals were only safe in the house. So that's like that famous Helm story, of course, where, um, where the guy goes to the rabbi, my house is too small, there's no room. So the rabbi says, bring a cow in the house. A cow in the house. Brings the cow in. You can only imagine the cow breaks, smashed every time it turns over, and who knows what it smells like. So after a week, the guy goes back to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, okay, now what? I bring your goats in the house. Bring my goats in the house. Rabbi, you know what my house looks like? Bring the goats in the house. Brings the goats in the house. Next week, bring the chickens in the house. Finally, the man is having a nervous breakdown, goes back to the rabbi, and the rabbi says, okay, put your animals back in the barn. Puts the animals back in the barn, comes back to the rabbi a few days later, so the rabbi says, so uh, how's the space in your house? Oh, rabbi, we have so much space. It's fantastic. But in any case, after the hail was the locusts. Locusts, interesting. In Psalms, locusts are referred to as God's army. So this is like the army is now marching in, and they devour any plant life that is left. They just completely devour all the food. And uh, then we get the darkness. Uh, the, those Jewish people did not want to leave Egypt because Egypt wasn't so bad. Now they're not slaves. So they died. They had to be buried. The Jewish people searched in the houses for the gold and silver but didn't take anything. And then you finally get the plague of the firstborn. Um, every house, every Egyptian house, either the oldest died or the firstborn died. Pharaoh himself was the firstborn. He lives. So my class asked me, what's he live for? The Pharaoh has to live because we need the Pharaoh to free the Jewish people. We were actually Pharaoh's slaves. Almost like in, in Europe where we the Jewish people belonged to the king. There's a fancy um, Latin word for it. But we were the property of the king. 
So we need the Pharaoh to free us. If he dies, he has to start the process all over because now his son has to become the Pharaoh and then he has to free us. So the Pharaoh has to live. He wakes up when, it's amazing, he went to sleep. But he went to sleep, wakes up, everybody's dying. And he runs looking for Moses and Aaron live. He doesn't know where they live. He's running through the neighborhood. The kids are making fun of him and telling him this way and that way. And the Jewish people have eaten their Passover sacrifice already and they're singing praises to God on the rooftops. And Pharaoh finally finds Moses' house, and Pharaoh says to Moses, you guys can leave. Moses says, we're slaves. Pharaoh announces, you're free. His voice was broadcast over Egypt. So Pharaoh says, okay, get out of here. So Moses says, come on. You think we're a bunch of thieves leaving in the middle of the night? We can't leave in the middle of the night. So Pharaoh says, fine, tomorrow morning. So the next morning is, we started talking in the last show, Right? All the mothers get up like every other morning and you got to grind the flour and put the water in and make the dough and let it rise. And this is the fourth part of the process. And that is we got to leave Egypt. So the Egyptians say, if you think you're hanging around, you are out of here. So we couldn't let the dough rise. We have to get up, get all our stuff, and there goes the music. And it's amazing. And I hope you enjoyed it. And we kept it short and sweet. Wishing all my listeners and non-listeners a happy and healthy Passover. Thank you to all the wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to the wonderful doctors. We have David, Cisco, and Andy in the back. I hope I've left some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.